want to ask you please to take your Bibles then and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Today we are going to be talking about one of the greatest message that has ever been presented to mankind. The greatest news that has ever been proclaimed and that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are continuing with our series on the New Testament methodology for personal evangelism or for evangelism actually. And today we want to focus on the message that we are to proclaim. The message that we are to present to those to whom God has sent us to become aware of his love. We want to talk about the need for that message to be clear and accurate if it is going to perform its work that God has designed it to do. The gospel is described in the Bible in two books in particular. The book of Romans and the book of Galatians. In the book of Romans, and Romans is probably one of the greatest pieces of Greek literature that has ever been written. And not only in the religious world, but in the classic or in the secular world as well. But in this treatise, many people call it, the Apostle Paul lays out in detail the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes in ev to every aspect of the need of man and the complete provision of Jesus, of Jesus Christ to meet that need, how we are to apply that to our lives, and then how we are to live it out as well. He doesn't stop by saying that the gospel is only having to do with man being initially saved, but he goes on from chapter 12 to the end of the book to show how man is to live as a result of being saved. And all of that is a part of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now today we're only going to be able to take time to look at chapter 1 of the book of Galatians. Because Paul presents in this chapter a concern concerning the presentation of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look with me then at verse 1 of Galatians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul begins with a note of authority, his authority as an apostle to proclaim the gospel. And I believe he does this intentionally because he is going to be talking about the authority of the gospel message throughout this book. And he, it's, this is like, you know, when you were in school and you had to write a sentence, uh, what do they call it, a subject sentence when you do a composition? This is what Paul is doing in these opening verses here, telling us exactly what he's going to be talking about. He's going to be talking about the authority of his message. So he wants to underline the fact that his authority comes from God not for man. It wasn't because of an ordination or letter of commendation from a church, even apostles, but he had his authority coming directly from God. Notice now what he says in verse, he goes on, he says, to the churches in Galatia. Now what else is said about the churches of Galatia in that passage? Nothing. If you are an ardent Bible student who studies the letters of the Apostle Paul, you'll realize right away that this is very significant. Because whenever Paul writes to a church, he always has something to say about them, whether good or bad. Normally he tries to talk about the good things. You look at Paul's letters throughout the epistles, you'll see that. But here he says nothing about these churches. He makes no positive comment as well. Why? Because this church is involved in a very serious um, neglect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a very serious matter that he is concerned with. And he's underlining that seriousness by not saying anything about them at all. Nothing positive in the beginning. Again, this is an indication of the serious matter that Paul is about to discuss with these Galatians. Then in verse 3, he gives a special greeting. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age or world. 
That's quite significant. He doesn't say to rescue you from hell or from the lake of fire. He talks about rescuing us from this present evil world. And that doesn't mean that he does not include being rescued from eternal damnation, but his focus is on this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. In essence, Paul gives us the gospel in a nutshell. And when I say gospel here, I'm saying it in, a, in an evangelistic sense, not in the sense of a deposit, all of the word of God. Because Paul sees the whole Bible as the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news from the triune God. It is what Jude calls the deposit of faith. But here, we're talking about the gospel as we normally see it in the terms of the gospel message. But he gives it a nutshell then, the essence of the gospel. And what is that? Look at it carefully now. Paul is saying that Christ died for the penalty of sin to save us from a life of sins. Plural, notice, it's sins, not sin. When Paul says that we are saved from sin, he talks about our being saved from the penalty of sin. That is still to come in a sense, although we experience this as God's children now. When he says being saved from sins, he's talking about being saved from the power of sins in daily life. And that's his focus here. And notice, it's all for the glory of God. The gospel is for the glory of God. Responding to the gospel is for the glory of God. The gospel is not only for man. The gospel is not really man-centered at all, although we think it is. The gospel, in essence, really is theocentric. It centers on the glory of God. That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this epistle then, and the reason why he's doing this now is because he wants to be sure that we understand what the gospel is. He wants us to be sure as to how that gospel is to be presented. All right? And so this is a very important statement here, coming right at the beginning of the letter. Paul, of course, describes the gospel that he preaches, that he got from God, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well. I invite you to turn to that passage. This is normally the passage we turn to when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. Notice now, I preach to you. He's talking about the message he has already delivered. He'll be doing the same thing with the Galatians. He wants to be sure that they understand that gospel, which you received. The gospel had to be received. Now, when you look at that word received, even in a passage like John 1.12, where it says, as many as received him, you have to think in terms of believing, all right? Receiving is the same as believing, which you received. In other words, they had to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, on which you have taken your stand, your stand for salvation. That's where they had the assurance of salvation, that they received the gospel as preached by the apostle Paul. Notice what he says in verse 2, very clear. By this gospel, you are saved. By this gospel, you are saved. That's why we have to very, be very clear when we talk about the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus Christ. We are saved by Jesus Christ. And that message comes to what we call the gospel, the good news, the evangel. And notice, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Notice the condition. Holding firmly, that's mean believing with all your heart, we want to say. Believing, being convinced of the gospel that I preach to you. If you hold firmly to the word preached to you. The implication is that if you hold on to a, a word or a message that is not in keeping with Paul's message, then you're not saved. We cannot be saved. That's Paul's point. I preach to you. Otherwise, notice now, you have believed in vain. You have believed in vain. You have received it in vain. It's of no use to you. It's of no profit to you. Now, I want you to see implication of this. It is possible for someone here, according to Paul, to sincerely receive a message 
believe a message that does not save if it is not in keeping with the message that he preached. If it's a different message, no matter how sincere your belief is, you're not saved. If it's a different message from the Apostle Paul. Notice very carefully now the points in this message. Christ died for our sins. What does that imply? That implies substitution. Jesus did not die for his own sins. He had no sin. Isn't that right? So when he says for our sins, right away we get the idea of substitution. We also admit that we are sinners and we needed someone because we couldn't do it ourselves. All that is contained in this idea that Christ died for our sins. And if that isn't clearly presented, if the gospel doesn't present Jesus as a substitute for your sin, the gospel isn't being preached. It's not sufficient. Now notice carefully, and I've said it before, and I say it again, because I tremble with fear when I preach the gospel. Because Paul has some harsh words for those who preach it wrong. You can see that in a moment. But here's the point. To say that Jesus died is not enough. That's history. To be true to the gospel, we have to say that Jesus died for you. And you have to accept the fact that he died in your place as a substitute for you. Because then you are admitting the fact that you are a sinner, you couldn't save yourself, and that Christ was qualified to die for you. All of that is contained in this statement, Christ died for our sins. You understand? And that has to be clearly presented. We are sinners who cannot save ourselves. That's what the apostle is saying here. Christ died to redeem us from the penalty of sin in the future, but he also died to save us from the power of sins in the present. And how we know that we have been saved from the penalty of sin is by being saved from the power of sins today. That's the message. And that's what Paul will be talking about in the book of Galatians. One has to do with justification. The other one has to, be done, has to do with sanctification. Notice he says, according to the scriptures. In other words, it was biblically validated. It is the teaching of God. And was buried. This is human verification. What do you do with people who die? You bury them. And it's important that we understand that Jesus died. Why? Because the resurrection has to take place. Only if he died. If Jesus did not die, he would not be able to be resurrected. And if he wasn't resurrected, our redemption would not be complete. The two go together like horse and carriage. And you cannot put the carriage before the horse. The death must come before the resurrection. Christ died as a substitute then for us. And you must clearly present that when you share the message. Or otherwise, you are not sharing the gospel. All right? All right, let's go back over to Galatians. But these things I mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 are what we will call the essentials of the gospel, the evangel. These basic truths are necessary to be believed and acted upon if a person is to be saved. But there is another essential element that must also be clearly understood and stated. In fact, it is this element that Paul is concerned with in the book of Galatians. Paul preached it very clearly when he was with the Corinthians as well as when he was with the Galatians. But at Galatia, something went wrong after Paul left them. Listen to what he says in verses 6 and 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly, notice that phrase, quickly, deserting the one who called you by the grace of God, by the grace of Christ, and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul is shocked. After he preached and he made the gospel so clear, these people seem to have turned away from it now. Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul says that you were saved by grace, but now you are trying to be sanctified by the law, by doing things. Paul says that you cannot do that. The gospel by which you saved was the gospel of grace. Notice how he mentioned, the grace of Christ. The one who called you by the grace of Christ. 
And that is what he is concerned with, to understand that the gospel is characterized completely by grace through faith. Turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now listen to these words very carefully. This is an amazing, revealing statement. Folk were turned away from the gospel of grace as preached by the grace apostle Paul himself. And they did it quickly. It's almost as though as soon as he left, these people tried to turn the gospel of grace into a gospel of works. They were living as though it was okay to live with that kind of belief. But Paul says they are in a serious, spiritually negative condition. We're going to see that in a moment. What happened? He says someone or someones were throwing them into confusion and were perverting the gospel of Christ. Notice that. It is possible for preachers to pervert the gospel. And they can do it in such a way that people could still say, I believe it and respond to it and think that they're saved. But Paul says if it is, the gospel isn't the way I preached it, on the basis and the condition on which I preach it, your belief is in vain. Your faith is in vain because it's in the wrong object. False preachers were promoting a gospel message that was different from the gospel Paul preached. So when he says a different gospel, the Greek has the idea a gospel of another kind altogether. In the context, this gospel was not characterized by grace. It was a gospel characterized by works because these teachers, as the rest of the book of Galatians shows, were trying to say that faith was not enough. You had to add something to faith, and that was circumcision. You had to keep the law as well. Paul is saying that's a false gospel. That's a gospel of another kind. If you add anything to grace, then it's no longer grace. It's works. And Paul makes it clear in the book of Romans as well. You cannot be saved on the basis of works, no matter how sincere it may be. These preachers were changing the gospel of grace into something else. They were saying, in addition to Paul, in believing Paul's gospel, that one also had to keep certain aspects of the law in order to be saved. They were adding works and human merits to the gospel of grace. Paul says that cannot be. Their gospel, therefore, was not a gospel at all because it was not Paul's gospel of grace. Any addition, then, to the grace in the gospel perverts the gospel of Christ and turns it into a gospel that has its source in man rather than in God, which makes it a gospel that cannot save. It may carry the name, the good news, but it is not good news at all. This is the major concern of the apostle in this epistle. Paul says that anything added to the gospel of grace is a perversion of the true gospel. It is no gospel at all. As I mentioned, gospel means good news, but it's only good news if it's based on the grace of God and not the efforts of man. The gospel of grace says that a person does not have to work in any form or fashion to be saved. All one needs to do is believe the truth about himself, that he's a sinner who cannot redeem himself, and the truth about Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God who died in the place of the sinner as a perfect sacrifice, and the father has shown his approval of the death of Christ on behalf of the sinner by raising him from the dead. That's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of the content of the gospel. But where most preachers go wrong is when they start to talk about the condition of receiving this gospel. That's when they begin to add works and sometimes they don't realize it. And they end up preaching their own gospel rather than the gospel of grace. We'll see that as we go along. Point is this, friends, and please understand this now as you share the gospel, not only from the pulpit, in your classroom, but as you speak to people one-to-one. -one. Jesus has done everything that is necessary for us to be saved. Everything. All the sinner has to do is to believe it. And to believe it with the belief that relies upon the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ alone as the basis of their salvation. That's what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Believing these things that are implied in the truth that Jesus died 
for our sins. But that's really good news, isn't it? That Jesus has done it all. Christ has done it all and the Father is satisfied. He is being propitiated, the Bible says. But at Galatia, these teachers were perverting and distorting this gracious, gloriously free gospel of Christ by adding to its divinely given message. They were teaching salvation plus something else. Yes, salvation has been given by Christ, but I must do something to get it. That's what they were saying. Paul says if that's true, then that's no gospel at all. And he has the strongest words of condemnation recorded anywhere in Scripture for these false preachers. Look at verse 8 now. But even if we are an angel from heaven, and when he says we, he's talking about himself as an apostle and the other apostles who are with him. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's my translation. The King James says, let him be accursed. That's a strong word. To put it literally, he's saying, if anybody perverts the gospel of grace, let him go to hell. That's what he's saying. Now, isn't it amazing? We have a group of people today who say that their gospel was given to their leader in a cave by an angel. Isn't that right? That's what the Mormons say. What does Paul say about that? Paul says, if an angel from heaven comes and gives you a message that's different from the one I have, let him go to hell. Let him be incursed. Let him be condemned. Powerful message. That's how important the accuracy of the gospel is. That's why I said, I'm frightened every time I preach. Because if I preach this message erroneously, inaccurately, I could cause someone to be condemned because they place their faith in the wrong thing or they do the wrong thing in order to believe that they're saved. You can talk about that in a moment. Let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, Paul is repeating it. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted from me, let him be eternally condemned. Let him be condemned. Let him go to hell. Isn't that amazing? Some people say, is that Christian-like to say that about somebody who's not preaching the gospel right? That shows you how important the gospel is and how vital it is that we get it accurately. Because this has to do with an eternal destiny. Paul says, Paul says elsewhere that when the gospel is preached, it's like an aroma that goes forth. To some, it is an aroma of life. To others, it's an aroma of death. The same gospel, but it depends upon how it is received and how it is preached, whether it is done accurately and whether it is received properly. Paul then, the divinely dedicated apostle and messenger of the gospel of the Gentiles, actually says that anyone who changes the essence, the meaning, the demands or conditions of the gospel of grace should be assigned to eternal perdition in the lake of fire. Now friends, that's a strong statement if there ever was one. And it is directed to those who preach a gospel other than the one given to the Apostle Paul, as recorded in the Word of God. He says, even if an angel comes with a different message from his, they are to be rejected and assigned to hell. He's, he also goes later on to say that even if another apostle comes behind me and does it, the same thing applies. His gospel, what he preached, must not be deterred, must not be altered in any form or fashion. Paul Responds to the people who says, um, well, that's not a nice thing to say about people. If you don't get it right, go to hell. That doesn't sound too Christian. Notice what he says now in the next verse. Am I trying now to win the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please man, this implies that he was trying to please man when he was a Pharisee. But now he says, no, I am not trying to please man any longer because I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says. Paul is right up front here. 
Paul says, I really have no concern with what man may or may not think about my message. Once I am preaching the word of God, once I am preaching the gospel, that I have been called as a servant of God to proclaim the message he gave me, I'm going to do that regardless of how it may be received by man. I aim to please God, he says, not man. I am his servant, not man. Now you say, that's quite a strong statement. Well, it is. And you know, it's very strange how Christian people do not really want to hear the word of God as it is in the Bible. They want to hear the word the way they want to hear it. They want to be satisfied with their lifestyle. They do not want to hear the word of God that challenges that lifestyle. They do not want to hear the word of God that says, hey, what you're saying, what you're doing is wrong. Preacher, you don't have to preach it, you know. It be a little candy-coated and everything. Paul says, not me. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want. My concern as a messenger of the gospel is to present the gospel. Now, I don't mean that he does it in a caring, on an uncaring, callous manner and an unloving way. No, that's not the point. But he must be true to the message. The message is aimed to please God, not to please man. And many times when we please God, we do not please man. You understand? Paul is very clear in that. So I say, hear, hear me very clearly. That's my, con my conviction and attitude as well. In the words of Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. I preach the word of God for, as it is, not for how you want it to be, all right? Paul then goes on to explain that his message came directly from God and therefore cannot be changed to please men. Verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is another amazing passage of scripture. Paul says his gospel was divinely given by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And that's his major emphasis throughout this book. His gospel came from man. That's what, from God, not man. That's why he cannot change it. Man has no right to change this gospel in any way, he says. He must not add to it. He must not take away from the message of the gospel. We must not say too much, nor must we say too little when we explain the gospel. We can say too much when we add to the gospel of grace works. You've got to be baptized, or you've got to come to school, or you've got to do this, or you've got to do that. That's saying too much. We can say too little by not talking about the, about the need for a changed mind that leads to a changed lifestyle. We may say too little if we do not say that Jesus Christ was a substitute for our sin. Not only that he died for the world, but he died for us. We're saying too little when we say that. If we leave out the resurrection, we leave, then we're saying too little. We must be sure that we don't say too little or say too much when we present the gospel. Because no other gospel can save other than the one that Paul presented. No matter how nice, persuasive, or refined a, peach, a preacher may be, if his gospel is different from what Paul preached, it cannot and will not save. If a condition other than faith is added, it is a perverted gospel. It is a gospel of man. And that's very important here because I believe this is where so much error is made, is when we try to say, what must I do to be saved? How can I be saved? And the response that is given. We'll talk about that in detail in a moment. But then Paul goes on to give three instances or evidence to show that the gospel he preached has its source in God and not in any human agency. Look at verse 13. For you have heard from my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. That's when he was trying to please man as well. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. What he is saying is here, he did not get his gospel from his religious upbringing. That was his experience prior to his conversion. He's saying, I didn't get my gospel from any man prior to my conversion. 
His gospel did not have its source or origin in made man tradition or religion. In fact, his gospel was completely contrary to the religion in which he was brought up. His gospel is one that changed his entire religious orientation. His background had nothing to do with his message of salvation. He didn't get his message from his family. Yep, is it amazing how many people today hang on to their religious heritage as proof of their salvation? Some actually believe they are spiritually okay because their parents were Christians or because I was brought up in the church all my life. Paul says none of that matters if you did not respond to the proper, accurate presentation of the gospel. Some people go so far as to say in the Bahamas, I'm a Christian because I was born in a Christian country. Paul will laugh at that. Paul makes the point here that one's heritage or background, no matter how religious, is adequate to save anybody. A gospel that promises salvation on this basis is a false gospel. You cannot be saved on the fumes of your parents or family church heritage, no matter how good or how long that heritage may be. Paul says, I did not receive my message from anyone, my religious background, before I was saved. But then he goes on to talk about what happened at his conversion. Again, he says, man was not responsible. Look at verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. Notice again, the emphasis on grace. He's talking about the time now that he met Jesus Christ. And how he was redeemed, how he was saved. He was called by God's grace. The grace of God was pleased to reveal his son in me. I want you to notice that as well. Paul had an experience with Jesus Christ. And his son, Jesus, was revealed to him. Some say, well, that's a special thing only for the Apostle Paul. I want to say that's not true. This same revelation of the Son of Jesus Christ occurs when anybody receives him as Savior. I'm going to demonstrate that in a moment. He says, but I, he says, Jesus appeared to me directly. He revealed himself to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who apostles before me. Before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia. And later returned to Damascus. Paul is saying here. That. When he was saved. It was not because of a message. That, became, that came from man. But it was the message that came directly from God. Through Jesus Christ. Now Paul is not in any way denying. The fact that God uses human instruments. To lead others to himself. By no means. What he is doing however is emphasizing the fact that in the final analysis, it is God who uses his message of grace accurately preached to bring individual sinners to himself, to save them. It was a message of grace of salvation freely given and freely received. It was a message that called believers in that message to a life of victory over sins now and judgment for sin later on. You hear the message. Here's the process now. You hear the message. You are convicted by the Holy Spirit. You trust Jesus Christ. And the words of Jesus Christ himself. It's like the blowing of the wind. When the person is saved. You cannot tell when it will come. Or where it will go. But you will see the effects. That happens every time a person is saved. When the Spirit of God comes upon a person. To bring enlightenment. To bring conviction. The Spirit of God enlightens the, the sinner to understand who Christ is and why he had to die on his behalf. The Spirit convicts that sinner of sin, causes him to have a change of mind, and then enables him to believe or to rely totally upon Jesus Christ as Savior. All of that is the work of the Spirit of God. And all of that takes place when a person is truly converted by the true gospel of Jesus Christ. How many times have you heard preachers invite the hearers to come to Christ on the basis of felt natural needs? For instance, if you have a financial or moral problem, come to Christ and he will help you. He will solve all your problems. 
And so they go forward. No conviction of sin. No real understanding of what Jesus has done for them and the need for the substitute and all of that. But then they are prayed for and they leave thinking that they have been saved from hell and now everything will be just fine for them. They'll have all the money needs met. They'll have the wife come back, the husband come back. Why? Because they came to Christ and they said a sinner's prayer. That will solve all their pressing natural needs. That's man's gospel, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you see, in actuality, they didn't go to Christ. They went to a man preaching a man's gospel. There was no conviction by the Holy Spirit of sin, no genuine acknowledgement of their need of a salvation of a Savior, no acknowledgement of deity of Christ or conviction that he died for them. It was simply an expectation to get out of personal problems, to go forward or to go forward because their friends are there or they want to satisfy the preacher. They want the preacher to feel good. I got one more. Friends, that's not the gospel of Christ. That's man's gospel. This, in my opinion, explains why we have so many people who starts off well. And then when things do not go the way they want, the way it was promised by the preacher who is preaching another gospel, they go back to their old way of life. Why? Because they responded to man's gospel and not the gospel of Christ. Paul said he got his gospel from God. In the same passage, he says, I didn't get it from man even after I was saved. He said, I didn't go up to any of the apostles when I went to Jerusalem to get my message. I already had my message. It is from God. So he says in three instances, I didn't get my message from man before I was saved. I didn't get my message from man when I was saved. And I didn't get my message from man after I was saved. My message I got from God. That's what he says here. So let me ask you now, where did you get your gospel? Where did you get your gospel? You say, how can I tell the difference? Let me tell you. You remember Jesus' words to his disciples when people were trying to figure out who he was? Listen to the scripture in Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now please listen to these words carefully. Jesus replied, blessed are you Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You see, that's it. The true gospel is always relieved. I'm sorry, this true gospel is always revealed by God. The person of Jesus Christ as a savior, the point of conversion, is always revealed by God. Even when it is preached by man, but it has to be preached accurately. It has to be the true gospel. It is the true gospel accurately preached that the Holy Spirit uses to bring conviction, conversion, and regeneration to the believing sinner. Paul is emphatic in stating that man's gospel cannot save. Listen again as he repeats this in verse 18. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I am writing you no lie. He's trying to emphasize the fact that he didn't get his message either from, he didn't get his message from the apostles either. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. A man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once despised. That was a radical change. Paul says, though I did not get my message from any apostle, I got it directly from Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel message must not, preach, must not be changed from the one that, and the way that Paul preached it. So what Paul is saying here is, not only did he not get his gospel from his background before he was saved, or from man when he was saved, but neither did he get it from any, other, any church after he was saved. His gospel came from God, directly from God, and that was the message of grace. That's the entire point of this chapter. 
That's the entire point of the book of Romans. That's the entire point of the book of Galatians. There's only one true divine gospel message. And that's the gospel message that Paul the apostle preached. This gospel springs from the grace of God. It declares that all men are sinners and that Jesus, the divine son of God, died in the place of the sinner. That God was satisfied with that sacrifice, so he raised Jesus from the dead. Now, Paul says, anyone who acknowledges his or her sin believes that Jesus, God's son, died in their place and that God raised him from the dead to show that he has accepted that death on the sinner's behalf and, and relies by faith alone entirely upon Jesus Christ for salvation, that person shall be saved. And listen, friends, as I mentioned before, it can come without fanfare. Jesus says it happens, as I mentioned before, the way the wind blows. You don't see it or knows when it will come, but you see the after effects. That's how the true gospel works. The Spirit of God illumines the sinner's mind to understand his need for Christ after the message is preached accurately. It brings conviction upon the sinner. It enables the sinner to believe. It brings about regeneration. And then the Spirit of God moves on to someone else to do the same thing. And we see the results in the life of the believer. That's how true conversion takes place. It's all of God from beginning to end. The sinner, now listen carefully, the sinner only has to believe. That's all. It's all from God from beginning to end. All the sinner has to do is to believe what God has done by providing Jesus Christ as his substitute. He does, and here's the, here's the important thing. He doesn't, the sinner doesn't have to do anything to bring about that belief. The sinner can do nothing to bring about that belief. He just has to believe. That means relying upon Jesus Christ. The reality of that belief will be seen in the believer's life afterwards. That belief, as I say again, is reliance upon Jesus Christ and his work. All the sinner has to do is to believe. All the sinner has to do is rely upon the person of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to pray to rely. He doesn't have to pray to believe. He simply believes Christ. He simply relies upon Christ. He doesn't have to hold up his hand to, relieve, to rely upon Christ. He doesn't have to walk down the aisle to believe. Because if he had to walk down the aisle or to raise his hand, that's not faith any longer. That's works. And this is where we distort the gospel so many times. Adding to the gospel of grace. The preacher will take all through his message saying that it's by faith. It's by the grace of God. Then he says, you want to be saved? Then come forward. You have to come forward. I've even heard him says now, you come down to the front. Don't allow the space, don't allow the distance to keep you from coming to Christ. Isn't that something? See, what is he implying? He's implying that you, in order for you to be saved, you've got to come to the front. You can't stay in the pulpit, in the pew where you are. Come to the front. That's works then. So he's mixing, he's confusing people. All the while he's saying it's by faith, it's by grace. But now in order to get it, you've got to do something. You see, that's where we confuse the gospel. Any message that adds or subtracts from the gospel is another gospel, which is not, in fact, a gospel. If you add works, you take away faith. If you take away faith, you take away grace. And if you take away grace, you also take away the true value and worth of the death of Jesus Christ. Friends, listen. Any change in this divinely given message can cause a man or woman to lose their soul and they could go to hell singing the praises of God because they believe that they've been saved when really they responded on the basis of works and not on the basis of faith and grace. The importance of having the right message presented by a preacher who does it accurately is illustrated in an event that occurred sometimes in the early days of the United States and the beginning of the train. A young lady was traveling west to see her parents. Knowing that she was finally arriving near her stop, she asked the conductor, who was supposed to know these things, 
where she was to get off. The conductor looked at her ticket and told her that her stop would be the second one that they made. However, a man who was sitting nearby overheard the conversation and after the conductor left, told the young lady that the conductor was wrong. He said her stop was actually the first stop and not the second one. He said he knew that because he had taken the trip many times. The young girl listened to him. And when the train made the first stop, she got off. But as the train sped off into the darkness, leaving her on the cold, snowy wooden platform, she realized that she had been left at a mail drop where there was no station. The conductor was right. The well-meaning passenger was wrong. The young lady froze to death before the other train arrived. She had listened to the wrong message from the wrong messenger, although it was well intended. It was changed and she died because of it. My friends, that is why Paul is so strong in denouncing those who change the gospel of God's grace. Don't let's turn the gospel of grace into a gospel of works by giving the wrong condition for receiving it. It can lead people to eternal death, singing, as I say, the praises of God as they go. This is the major concern that I have, the way the gospel invitation is given. Sometimes we refuse, and I've done this myself, we confuse the message of, of grace. We say, it is by grace through faith alone that you save. But then we go on, as I mentioned, that we must do something in order to believe. I call that bait and switch. That's, that's man's gospel, not Paul's gospel. It may not be intended, but that's what happens nonetheless. And the devil can use it to give a sincere person a false assurance. That's why I do not want to make that mistake. And I believe it is important that the gospel be presented accurately and that it is understood clearly that all you have to do is believe, nothing else. So, let me give you some necessary clarifications as to what a person must do to be saved. Coming forward does not save. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying it does not save. Saying a prayer does not save. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it does not save. Raising a hand does not save. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying it does not save. Signing a card does not save. Asking Jesus to come into our heart does not save. Giving our heart or our life to God does not save. Inviting Christ into our heart does not save. Making Jesus the Lord of our life does not save. Confessing our sins do not save. Repenting from our sins does not save. Friends, listen carefully. I'm not saying those things are not wrong and not a part of our Christian life. I'm saying this though, but when it comes to salvation, Christ alone saves. And you appropriate his finished salvation through faith alone, in him alone, period. Nothing else. Once you have consented to that message through the conviction of the Spirit of God, you rely, you place faith upon him, and that's your salvation. Faith, listen carefully now, faith is an inner response to the word of God, to the enablement of the Holy Spirit that causes you upon recognition and admission of your lost condition to transfer your reliance for salvation from yourself upon Christ alone, from any other source you have previously relied upon. And you, in other words, listen carefully, salvation is an activity of the mind and heart. It is not an activity of the feet or the hands. It has to do with a consent, an inner consent to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else is required. Nothing else. In closing then, I invite you right now to respond to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the Spirit of God prompting you right now to acknowledge that you are a sinner? That Jesus Christ, God's son, died for you. And that God the Father accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. And that alone as the basis of your salvation. Nothing or no one else can save you. 
No action on your part other than believing is necessary. That is the gospel of Paul. That is the gospel of Christ. That is the true gospel. So I invite you to believe in the Christ of this gospel right now. And if the, Sp and if the Spirit of God prompts you, come and let me or one of the other pastors know that you have been saved because you have relied upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, I pray now very humbly and very sincerely that you would allow your Holy Spirit to make your word, your gospel, very clear to all of our hearts. And Father, if I have misstated anything, if I have preached anything erroneously, we pray that you might bring that to light and cause us to overlook that, cause us not to respond to that, but only to respond to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that some individual here has already done that. They have relied upon Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as their personal savior. They have to do nothing else but to believe, to rely, to place all of their confidence in Jesus Christ as the basis for their salvation. May we have the joy of seeing someone come into the kingdom of God today because the Spirit of God has blown into their lives as it were, bringing conviction and regeneration to cause them to become the children of God. Give them, we pray, the strength, the courage now to share their faith with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.